Please stand for the reading of the word. We're at Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for those for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning. Always so good to see you guys, rain or shine, spring forward, fall back, whatever. Uh, We have been in this series on uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians where he is painting this picture of the Jesus life. Life with Jesus, life in Jesus, what that means. And today we come to what's probably my favorite uh, section of this letter where Paul gives us the gospel. And so today we get to hear the essence of the good news. And the good news in a word is Jesus. In a word, the good news is Jesus. The good news is not a mechanism or a philosophy or a religion or some other strategy. The good news is a person, Jesus of Nazareth. And we're going to talk about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And um, I just want to acknowledge, it it can feel funny. I mean, I'm looking at your faces as we're doing worship. And it can feel funny to to share the gospel with a bunch of people who I know have heard the gospel like 2,000 times. Um, And that can kind of feel funny to do it again. Some of you maybe have never heard the gospel, but many of you have. I was very comforted by verse 1 this week when I was feeling that. He says, uh, the second half of verse 1, he says, It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Meaning, I I know I've said these things before. I'm going to say them again. It's not a trouble. And by the way, it's a safeguard. I'm saying this to protect you. Meaning, you are always in danger of wandering from this good news that you've heard. And so we all, wherever we find ourselves, whether this is the first time you've heard this, or this is the hundredth time you've heard this, we need to be 
reminded of the good news. There is a part of your heart today, I promise you, that needs to be reminded of the good news. I need to be reminded of the good news. And so I have the opportunity to share that with us all today. Let me pray that God would speak. Let me just pray the song we just sung. Father, as we come to the essence of the gospel, of your good news, that for many of us is such familiar territory. We pray in line with that song. Speak, O Lord. Breathe this wonderfully freeing good news into our hearts and minds wherever we need to hear it today. Through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a word that gets mentioned three times in verse 4 and 5. Take a look at verse 4 and 5. Uh, I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Oh, in verse 3, who put no confidence in the flesh. Three times this word confidence shows up. And so I want to start with a question, which is this. Today, as you sit here, where is your confidence? Where are you putting your confidence? Meaning, what are you looking to, to give you a sense of, I'm okay, I'm good, I'm okay in this world, and especially in your relationship with God, with the creator, what are you looking to, to say, you know what, we're okay, God and me, (laughs) we're good, everything's okay, what do you fall back on, what do you lean on? Uh, Paul is going to use accounting language in this passage of profits and losses. So any of you accountants out there, this is your, this is your morning. Okay? You don't get a lot of them in the Bible, but this is your morning. But to use accounting language, what are you banking on in your relationship with God? What are you counting on that gives you sense, yeah, God and me, we're, we're okay, things are good. Well, Paul is is writing uh, in a context where there are a group of people who are pressuring the Philippians to put their confidence in a set of behaviors. All right, you hear about them in verse 2. Take a look at verse 2. Paul says, watch out for those dogs. He's speaking in no uncertain terms. He doesn't think highly about these people. He's calling them dogs. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the true circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit. So there's this group of people, scholars usually call them the Judaizers, okay? In the first century, these were Jewish people who may have believed that Jesus really was the Messiah, but they said to Gentile believers, like the Philippians said, but if you want to have confidence that you you are... um, you are righteous with God, that you're good with God. You need to add to Jesus. Jesus is great. But if you really want to have confidence, you need to observe the Jewish law. Specifically, if you're a man, you need to be circumcised. You need to do that. Uh, if you're a man or woman, you need to eat kosher food. Uh, you need to observe certain holy days. Okay? If, if you want to be part of the people of God, these are the things you do. You observe the law. That, and, and if you live that life, that's what can give you a sense of confidence. Yes, I'm in. I'm part of God's people. And Paul is in no uncertain terms saying, watch out for that kind of thinking. That is not the gospel. And I was thinking in our context today, very different than first century Judaism, um, but there still are those kinds of people out there. But I was just thinking, you know, if you just, uh, if you just ask the average person on the street, if you went to the average American and said, you know what, you know, first off, do you believe in an afterlife? 
if you just ask that question, okay, the vast majority of Americans, like up to 90 plus percent, still would answer, yeah, I believe in some afterlife, uh, whether there's like bad place and a good place, who knows. But they believe in some good afterlife place. And you said, do you think you're going there? Uh, I would guess 99.9% of those people would say, yeah, I think I'm going there. And if you ask, why? What, what gives you confidence? I think the average thinking in our 21st century context is this. A person would say something like this. Well, I look at my life, you know, and I'm not perfect. I wouldn't claim to be perfect, but I have some good things and I have some bad things in my life. But I would say for sure the good outweighs the bad. It's tipped in the scale of God. I would say I'm generally a good person. I think most people are generally a good person. And that's what what would give me a sense of confidence. Yeah, I I think I'm going to that place that I, I believe in. That, I think, is, is our context today. Uh, our gains and losses. You can use the, the language of gains and losses. Well, Paul offers us a completely different way of seeing the world than the Judaizers or what I just mentioned there. And what he does in this passage is he invites us into the good news, the gospel. And how he does it is he actually invites us into his own journey of faith and how he thought a certain way all his life And then he encountered Jesus Christ. And that encounter turned his life and his whole way of thinking upside down. And he received the gospel. And he invites us in to his journey. So I want to invite you into his journey this morning. The journey of his life begins in verse 4. Okay? Take a look. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Okay? He's talking about... my life of, of former Judaism, man, when it comes to like doing the right stuff, I nailed it, all right? I mean, if I looked at my life, if I looked at the gains and the losses of my life, I had this long list of positive gains. And he goes on in verse 5 and 6 to give you a list of seven, this kind of perfect seven of his, the many things he had done. Look at this, verse 5. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. We hear Pharisee now, we think negatively. First century, they hear Pharisee. Man, that's a respectable religious person. As for zeal, man, I persecuted the church. That would have been respectable as well. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. All right? He lists these seven things. All of these things were great gains that came from his background, his family of origin, and then the specific things he had done. Okay? And he looks at this profit and loss thing in his old way of life. He's like, dude, if anybody nailed that, I had that nailed. I mean, I, I, if anyone could put confidence, I, I, I can play that game with the best of them. Okay? He, was, he was the cream of the crop in first century Judaism. Everything that you were supposed to do that a person would say, man, that is definitely God's man. Paul was all of those things. Now, I was thinking this week, you know, what if he had been born today and he was writing in our modern church context, what would be like modern equivalents of this list of things that made him feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm on God's side. I, I think he would say something like this. Hey, I was born into a Christian family. I mean, I've got like a Christian pedigree. Uh, I grew up in the church. I prayed the prayer at camp in junior high. I was baptized. Uh, I attend church regularly at least once a month, maybe even four times a month. I pray, I read my Bible, I give money, I serve, I'm in Axios, I'm in a home group, I help with the rummage sale, right? You name it. All of these things that I do. And I would get, you know, so many of us do these things. And most of us wouldn't on paper say, yeah, 
if we wouldn't actually out loud say, yeah, this is what gives me confidence that, that, that God sees me as acceptable. We would never say that out loud. And we don't even think it intellectually, but I think emotionally, like just in the day to day, how we live, like what, what gives me a sense that, that I'm good with God? I think, I know for myself, it's, I live this kind of life. Like this is what gives me a sense I'm good with God because this is my life. This is what I do. This is what makes God think my life is acceptable. And Paul in his first century context is saying, man, I had so much confidence in the things that I had achieved for God. I mean, I was so confident. And then something happened to Paul. Something big happened. He encountered Jesus. He was on the way to Damascus, on a road to Damascus, and the risen Jesus appeared to him in a vision and changed his whole world. Right? Saul, Saul. Christ called, why are you persecuting me? And I I was thinking this week, there's two specific things Jesus did in that moment that I just love. Uh, The first one is he literally knocked him on the ground. Uh, I love that. Saul, you're you're a little too high. (laughs) You need to be brought low. All that self-confidence and self-respectable religiosity, you need to be brought low. And the other thing he did, do you remember what else he did? He blinded him for like three days. It's like, dude, you think you see things clearly. You have no idea how blind you are. He gave them this, him, this, like, this physical metaphor of his spiritual reality. Like you, you don't realize how blind you are. And Paul, in an instant, had his whole life changed and, and, and learned all of that self-respectable religiosity that I thought was great. That was actually taking me 180 degrees in the wrong direction. Not like slightly off course. Like... The wrong direction. All of that religion and all that, I was actually fighting the Lord of the universe. His whole world got transformed. And and he had to reevaluate everything. We we know in scripture, he actually spent like three years after that in the desert in Arabia, just trying to come to terms with all this new way of thinking and and what was going on. He said, I had to come up, come to understand a whole new way of seeing things with Jesus Christ at the center. And that's what he goes on to give us in verse seven and eight. Take a look. These are great verses. But in light of that, in light of what happened there, Whatever gains, uh, whatever used to be gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Okay? Okay. Let me show you our, 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 you know, he looked at these, all these great things. I had stacked those up in the gains, in the profit column. But then I learned about the possibility of gaining Christ. And in light of that new life of gaining Christ, you know what I did? I took all of that stuff and I lumped it into one big pile and just called it, that's all loss now. What I thought were to my advantage, I was, no, that's just loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of gaining Jesus. Those things seem good, but Jesus is so much better, surpassingly better than those things. So, so relative to Jesus, I consider those things losses. And not only that, but I learned that the very things that I was counting on, those were actually preventing me from coming to receive Jesus. 
Because inasmuch as I was going to those things for confidence, they were becoming a barrier to receiving what Jesus wanted to give me. And so all the more I consider them disadvantages, losses. He uses a very strong word in the Greek. My translation says, I consider them garbage. Well, the old translations would use a nice proper British word. I consider them rubbish, right? Rubbish. Trash, refuse, worthless. Some scholars think it's even more than that. Dung, some people want to translate it, okay? I thought that was, oh, I looked to those things and this is, I'm awesome. Now, that's all one big pile of cow manure in my thinking. And it's something like that compared to being able to gain Christ. Compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, in verse 9, He gives us the gospel, what this is. And I want to read verse 9, and I want you to try to take this in today, okay? I know this is familiar, but I just want you to sit with the phrases of verse 9. I'm going to go to the last phrase of verse 8, that I may gain Christ, okay? Just try to take this in, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul's outlining, there's two very radically different ways to try to live your life. I'm going to give you a a diagram that's helpful for me. God's up top. Here's me, the little dot on the right, and, and Christ. He's saying there's two ways to live your life. Here's one. You can be found alone, okay? I can be found alone. There I am alone. I can be found alone, he says, and I can pursue a righteousness of my own. Meaning, I can say, I have within myself what I need in order to impress God, in order to be accepted by God. And so, I'm going to, to try to do that. I'm trying to produce something within myself that God will look at and say, wow, that's amazing. Well done. I accept you. I approve of you. It comes from me. I'm found alone, and I'm producing a righteousness that's my own. And he says, it comes, uh, a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law. The way I do it is by I faithfully obey all of the laws and commandments of God. I'm on my own. I have something within myself. I have within myself what it takes. And the way I do it is I faithfully obey you, God, and follow your commandments so that you look at my righteousness and you say, yes, you're accepted. I receive that and I accept that. That's religion, okay? That's, that is religion. Uh, and there's a massive problem <laughs> with that way of thinking. And what it is is, is that pursuit is utterly futile. And that's what Paul came to realize when he encountered Jesus. Man, he thought his religious works were really getting him somewhere. And then he encountered the the righteousness and the perfection of Jesus and realized, I'm not even close. And that's what the the gospel says. That's what the Bible says is, is you will never, in your own righteousness, you will never be able to meet God's standards. Why? Because God's standard is none other than the standard of his own perfect righteousness. That's what you have to be able to fulfill in order to be fully accepted in God's sight. Anything short of that is, is unacceptable to a holy God. I, heard, I can't remember who told me this, but I heard this story, this metaphor. It's like us trying to provide our own righteousness for God would be like going to the Newport Pier, 
getting a running start, okay, and run as fast as you can, and jumping off the pier and landing on Catalina Island, okay? Like, that would be what it would take. It's impossible. It's never going to happen. Now, the reality is we can all try it. And, um, you know, some of us might get a good running start. We might, we might get, you know, 30 feet out before we hit the water. Um, I might get 40 feet out. You know, I don't know. You might get 10 feet out. I'm 42. I, I wouldn't get over 10 feet anymore. I, I'm, yeah. Um, and we could, um, we could spend a lot of time looking at how far each other got out. Like, hey, I got another 10 feet from you. I got another, you know. And, and, and that's actually how Paul lived his life. Like, we're comparing 10 feet to 15 feet to 20 feet. And then he realized, this isn't even close. Like, it, it's, it's not even worth doing. It's, it's utterly futile. And, and, and so Paul says, that, that's never going to work. It might make you feel good when you compare yourself with others, but that will never make you right with God. And then he encounters Jesus, and he learns there's this completely different way of life. Okay, go back to the, the passage, and try to sit, sit with us. Here's the other way. I'll put the diagram up, okay? I'm going to go and be found in Christ, right? So this is it, that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him. I'm no longer found alone. I'm actually found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus. I now receive a righteousness that comes from somebody else. I don't produce it from within myself. I'm found in this person, and his righteousness is given to me because I'm in him. And that's the heart of the gospel. That's what, that's what um, Paul says in other places. Because Jesus did live the perfect life. Jesus did actually make the jump to Catalina. He could do it. He's the one human being who he fulfilled every commandment. He could stand before God and say, I'm as good as you are. He's the one person who could say that. And so what happens, so he lives the perfect life. And then on the cross, he dies the perfect death, the sacrifice for all the ways that we fall short, all the ways that we don't live up to God's standard. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, on the cross, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus who was sinless, God made him to be sin for us. All of our sins are transferred to Jesus on the cross, and he is paying the punishment that our sins deserve. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Christ we might be the righteousness of God. So there's this great exchange that takes place on the cross. My sin is transferred to Jesus, his perfect righteousness is transferred to me and I'm found in him. And God looks at me now and he sees me as in Christ. And he looks at you and he sees you as in Christ. He sees the righteousness, not of yourself, but the righteousness of Christ because you're part of his body. You're in Christ. He says, this is a righteousness, he says, and it's a righteousness that comes from God. It is a righteousness that God says, I'm going to give this to you. It doesn't come from yourself. It comes from me and I'm offering it to you. And this is the amazing thing about God. The same God who demands perfect righteousness of every human being in the very next breath turns around and offers that perfect righteousness as a free gift to all. How do you receive that kind of righteousness? Hands on the basis of faith. You receive it by faith. You receive it not by working, not by performing for God. You receive that righteousness simply by trusting. Receiving it. Martin Luther called this an alien righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. An alien righteousness. It's not something that comes from here. It comes from out there. I didn't drum it up. It comes from outside of me, from Jesus. It's given to me. That's the gospel. 
<coughs> Excuse me. As you can tell, I've been fighting something all week. I've been fighting the gospel all week. <laughs> I'm finally receiving. <coughs> Let me show you another way Paul says this. These two ways of life. I, again, such familiar stuff, but try to take this in today. Two very different ways of living life with God. Here's one way. To the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. But to the one who doesn't work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Two ways to live with God. One is you can approach God like an employee with a boss. And you can say, here's how the relationship works, God. You have these laws, and I work for you. I work hard. I obey you. I do the things you want. And at the end, I can say, hey, God, I deserve your acceptance. I deserve your love. Why? Because I've earned it. I've worked for it, and I earned it. You owe me that as a wage. Of course, Paul said that will never work because you can never perfectly fulfill God's commandments. There's a completely different way of living in your relationship with God. It's crazy, okay? Hear it again. It's a way where you don't ever work. Sound good? You don't have to work. To the one who doesn't work, instead of working, you do something else. What you do is you trust. The one who doesn't work, but who trusts. And you trust that God is a very, I think, strange God who does this. He justifies the ungodly. God is the kind of God who takes broken, sinful, dysfunctional, messy, wicked people. And he just says, I justify you. You are you're perfectly fine in my sight. I accept you. I see you as perfect and clean in my sight. It's a very strange thing to do. Of course, because of what my son Jesus did for you. To use the accounting language, I credit to you righteousness. The righteousness of my son. That's what God wants. He says, I don't want your work. I don't need your work. I just want your trust. Trust me. Stop working. Trust that I justify wicked people like you, (laughs) like me. And I credit righteousness to you. Let go, to go back to the confidence language. Give up. Let go of your confidence and your ability to perform for me. Put your confidence in my ability to solve your greatest problems in my way. Trust that. That is the new way of life. That is the good news. Amen? So Paul sees that other way of life. And he's like, that's what I want. (laughs) I want that. He said, I said, man, I had that other life of pride and confidence and self-respectable religion. And my pride was intact. And you know, to live the gospel life, there's one thing I had to give up. What I had to give up was my pride. I had to give up my confidence, my own abilities to achieve. And that's what the gospel requires. You have to die to your pride, to your own sense that I have it within me. I can produce from within myself what is needed to be acceptable. That has to die. You have to let go of that. That's the narrow gate we talked about a couple weeks ago. But what you gain is freedom. You gain the freedom of I don't have to perform perfectly for God in order to have his love and approval. I live in the freedom of not working for his approval, but of living from 
his approval. And now there's all sorts of good things he has for me to do. But I live from his approval. I don't work for his approval anymore. Yeah, I have to let go of my pride. I couldn't do it on my own. But if I let go of that, there's such freedom that comes on the other end of that. Let me read verse 8 again. Take a look at verse 8. This is Paul back to his, his experience. What's more, I consider everything a loss. You know, he starts with these, these, these achievements in the flesh that I used to have. I consider those loss. Then he goes on. In fact, I consider everything a loss. I, I throw everything in a loss compared with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my life. I mean, think about his former life for a second. It was a good life he had in first century Judaism. He was respected. He was wealthy. He was comfortable. He had connections. He had opportunities. He was like, you know, the top 20 who's who of first century Judaism. He was, he was like, he was it. He's where you want to, to be. And then he encountered Jesus. And man, he left all that behind. And you read the, the, the New Testament. He entered into a life of oftentimes poverty. He was on the run. He was persecuted. He didn't know what was coming next. He was misunderstood. All of this stuff. But he had Jesus. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? Like, that whole life, everything about that. Yeah, it looked good, but man, to me, it's just loss compared to having Jesus. I will take this life with Jesus any day of the week over what I had before. And then he goes on. This is the last, uh, t- towards the end of the passage. Look at verse 10. I love this. He just wants to, to go on with Jesus. I want to know Christ. I would say, Paul, you already know Christ. Of course, he said, I want to know him even more. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He said, I want Jesus and whatever comes with Jesus. And a lot of times what's going to come with Jesus is the power of his, of his resurrection. I'm going to experience power walking with Jesus. And Paul saw a lot of Jesus' power in his own life, in people's lives. He saw miracles. He saw amazing powers. Like when being with Jesus means power, I love the power. Then he goes on to say, and also <laughs> the fellowship of his sufferings. And knowing Jesus came with a lot of suffering for him. I just mentioned a lot of hard things. But he's like, hey, if being with Jesus means suffering, I'll take the suffering. I'll take the power, take the suffering. What I really want is Jesus. That's what I want. There's nothing that compares. The freedom I have now, the joy I have now, compared to what I had before, doesn't even, doesn't even count. Pile of dung compared to Jesus. That's the gospel. Jesus being found in Christ, knowing him. So let me leave you uh, with this question. And many of you, I say this knowing that you have been walking this journey for a long time. But the question is this. Uh, You just heard the gospel. Where do you need to be converted today? Whether you've heard it once or for the first time or for the hundredth time. Uh, Where is your confidence today in the wrong things? Where have you crept back in this life of trying so hard to be a good boy, a good girl for God? trying so hard to perform for him to gain his approval? Where do you need to be converted? Where do you need to step again into the freedom of not working, but instead simply trusting? That is the call. Stop working. Stop performing. Start trusting. Receive as a free gift. I leave you with Jesus' own invitation to us that you're, many of you are familiar with. Here's his invitation. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, are you tired of trying so hard to perform? Are you tired of running on that moral treadmill, trying so hard? Hey, if that's you, if you feel burned, come to me. I'll give you rest. 
Take my yoke on you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So that is the invitation to, to come into the freedom and the rest of being found in Jesus and knowing him. Let's pray. I'm going to invite Mark up to lead us in a time of prayer and to uh, help us move into a time of worship and communion with the Lord. So I'm going to hand it over to him. So uh, what we heard, as Dave said, is the gospel. And if you're like me, I need to be reminded of that every single day. Every single day. Uh, it's so good to, be, uh, to reflect on that. And so what, as I mentioned in the beginning of the service, what we want to do is we want to carve out a little bit more space than we typically do to have that truth, those truths, just soak in, really sink in to our hearts and and minds. Uh, For some of you, uh, it's very familiar uh, territory, maybe too familiar. Uh, And what I mean by that is maybe uh, your familiarity has resulted in kind of a, a numbness to it, your senses of the profundity of of this truth uh, just has kind of lost its impact on your heart. Uh, for others, maybe this is, this is brand new. Uh, and a new way of even thinking about what relationship with God is all about. We are made white, right with God through Jesus, through what he did on the cross. Jesus did it all by himself. He didn't meet, meet us halfway and, and ask us to, to go the rest of the way. He did it all by himself. Totally free, unmerited, unearned. Let us think about that. So will you bow with me as I lead us in some prayer? Father, uh, words don't do justice. They, they are so inadequate to express how wonderful, how beautiful, how extravagant your love is for us. Sending your son to die for us that we might be made right with you. And yet, Lord, you know us. You, you know how we sometimes really struggle with this. Uh, We struggle to to rest in your perfect and complete work for us. Um, Maybe for some it's just too hard to believe, too too good to be true in our minds. Or as I said, maybe we think that it's kind of a havesies thing and we have to do our part. Maybe uh, we've walked into this room and we think because we've done this or that or because we show up week after week or maybe because we serve in ministry 
or because we give our money or because we maybe have a strong marriage or our kids are well-behaved or because we know the Bible pretty well or because we've avoided certain sins or vices or we grew up in a Christian home or whatever, whatever else uh, those might be. That we would think of those things as somehow serving to justify us before you. Have mercy on us, Lord, for that kind of thinking. And may we come to terms that that is absolutely worthless garbage in light of what you have done for us. And it makes a mockery of the cross. Let's take a moment just right now in, in our own hearts to quietly consider all the ways that you may be putting confidence in what you can do in order to please God and earn his favor. If that describes you in any way, um, let's lose that religion by confessing those ways to the Lord right now. Father, we are so grateful that, that through Christ we are made right with you. And not only that, but, but that we have been given a new identity. These spiritual blessings and, and this blessed calling. Things like that we are the salt of the earth and light to the world that we've been adopted into your family as a child of God, chosen and appointed to bear fruit, that we have been resurrected to a new life, that we are joint heirs with Christ, sharing in his inheritance and the dwelling place of God, that we are a friend, your friend, and a member of Christ's body, your church. And a new creation reconciled to you. And your workmanship created for good works. And that we are dearly, dearly loved. That's so good. And if you are sitting here and you have not given your heart to Christ, trusting in him for his work on the cross to, to make you right with God. Let me just encourage you. Don't put it off. You're wasting time. Come to him now and may the reality of all those blessings that I just mentioned be your reality. 
And for those of you who are already his, let us just take a few more moments to reflect on all these blessings and give thanks to you, to God. Father, may we come to a deeper and deeper realization of these truths. May they penetrate our hearts and minds. And may they bring peace to our hearts so that we can rest in knowing that we are completely loved and accepted by you. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who made this possible. Amen.